Are you a man or are you a mouse? You may want to think twice about your answer after the latest episode of the VG Thought Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the uh, the VG Thought Commune Podcast. Today we've got episode uh, 5, right? And we're talking about Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse. Uh, this week we're going to take on boss fights, but before we jump into that, let's just uh, get some introductions in here. How's everyone doing? Fox, how are you doing? I'm a little jittery, but otherwise I'm feeling alright. Ooh, jittery. Are you nervous about the... Are you nervous? Uh, I, I All I've had to eat this morning was soda, so I've just got caffeine and an empty belly. Ooh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a feeling I know all too well. Uh, Zenrio, uh, are you jittery at all? <laughs> oh, I'm good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Shouty, how are you doing? I'm kind of at unease because my connection is a little bit flaky. But otherwise, I'm doing fine. I see. So, uh, Wario fan, how are you doing? I'm feeling cleansed and refreshed. That's right. That's, uh... We have the whole spectrum of morning events here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just uh, check back in with everybody. What's everybody been playing, Wario fans? I've been playing uh, Castlevania, Dawn of Sorrow. Ooh. Uh, how's that so far? Uh, I just finished. Um, yeah, I just finished the run. It was uh, pretty great. I remember the bosses in that being hard because Castlevania is hard. Uh, they they were a little tricky to get around, but um, I managed. You know, I reaped their souls. It was all good. Okay, it's uh, it's always good when you can reap those souls. Absolutely. Uh, Fox, what gaming have you been up to? Uh, I wrapped up Arcanum. Well, I'm wrapping it up, and I was thinking about starting up Wizardry. Ooh, wizardry, really? That I've, is that uh is that one of the first like uh first person dungeon crawlers? Yeah. I'm I'm trying to get more familiar with the old CRPGs, so I'm just diving right in head first. Oh my god. Uh I, uh I don't know what to say. <laughs> have a good luck. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing. Did Arcanum have any bosses? What's that? Did Arcanum have any bosses? Um well, not not particularly. I mean, there'd be enemies that'd be hard to get past, but there was usually more than one way to get past them besides fighting them. So you could like talk your way through them or just sneak around them. So it wasn't necessarily bosses. I see. Maybe bosses in the more uh, traditional non-video game sense. Yeah, they're bosses. Zenrio, <laughs> uh, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, still just Ace Attorney. And uh, anything interesting going on there? I know those don't have boss fights. No, no. Not that way, but I'm, I'm the last case, no. That one's gonna, but that one is gonna take a while, I think. 
Last okay. ones tend to be pretty long. I, uh, I recently found out that there's a case in which you interrogate a parrot. Have you had the pleasure of playing that yet? Yeah, it's in the first game. Uh, I played it. It's fun. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Shabby, what have you been up to? Um, I recently just started playing Super Princess Peach again. Oh no. <laughs> and uh, I found what I found interesting is that in the beginning, in the opening cutscene, um, uh, you pretty much play as every other character who isn't Peach. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh. Because in in the, the first uh, time they tell you to take command is when Bowser wants you to close the doors, so you're effectively being one of Bowser's troops. Whoa. And, uh, second time where you have to take control in the cutscene is where, um, you have to yell into the mic, uh, to charge, um, Bowser's troops into the castle. What is, so, uh, you're another one of Bowser's troops in that scene. Um, but then, uh, you take control of a toad to calm down all of the, um, emotional ruckus that's happening in the castle. <laughs> Very... So it's so it's pretty much going from uh, who you'd least expect to control to Peach. Would you would you call it expressionism? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why I would call it expressionism. <laughs> the so does that game have any bosses? I would assume yeah. so. Most of the bosses in that game just boil down to using the. Uh, vibes. Okay, so there's sort of they're gimmick boss fights, maybe. Yeah, because, well, I mean, there are some environmental things that you have to manipulate, but usually it's just using the vibes to do so. Okay. All right, I'm glad we've all been playing video games. Uh, I recently purchased for F Zero for all of thirty cents. Um. I've been looking for a good track to talk about, but I'm uh, I'm having trouble finding a foothold. Uh, I guess one thing I've noticed is that the defining element of each track seems to be within the first stretch of road, uh, which is a little interesting. Um, not the usual pacing I'm used to in like Mario stages, but they're not Mario stages; they're racetracks, so I guess it makes sense. Any uh, boss fights? No, there are no boss fights in F-Zero. Oh, What but, about uh, that yellow car? <laughs> <laughs> I am the yellow car. God. Insensitive. Um... Magical Quest has some really satisfying combat, uh, but then it's got this weird mini-boss loser. Well, anyway, for a dopey 90s mascot platformer, Magical Quest has some compelling ideas about fighting. Let's take a long, hard look at what it's like when Mickey beats someone up.
may have noticed if you have been playing the game that there is a recurring mini-boss in the earlier worlds. Um, I'm not really sure if he's a Disney character. Do we know that? Or is he made up for this game? I think, I think he's, he's made up. Okay. Um, I was wondering, like, uh, what does he add? Why is he even even in the game? Um, Shouty? Um, uh, what does he add? Well, I think it's like, hmm, he seems to, like, take out the design of, of, uh, Pete himself. So it's like a miniature Pete they have to fight in the beginning of the game before he can move on to the big Pete. <laughs> Pete and Big Pete are in a boat. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's like a it's a, it's the quiz before the final exam in each world. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, what Wario fan is that? The sense you got? Um, no, I think he was more like a. Uh, I don't want to call her breather. But like you're 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 facing a particularly challenging stage, and then you're like, oh man, I'm so close to the end. I'm so oh no, there's a guy. What's he doing there? Why is he doing the things? And then you die, and then you start at the beginning, and that was just. Ugh. <laughs> That's um. You have a good point there, where uh, the mini boss appears in, uh, I believe one two, and then. 2-2, two, two, if I recall correctly, 3-1, and then never in the in the rest of the game. He's like the fool from King Lear. Um, so he is all over the place. He he does a good job of mixing things up. Um, he makes things irregular. Uh, Fox, what did you get out of the mini-bosses? Um, I agree with Wario Fan. They, they're, they're good for mixing up the pacing, so you've got some so you so you've got like the the stage which may or not may not be tense to a certain degree and then you've got the boss which sorry I've got a cat on me. And you've got the boss which uh upsets things a little bit. Um I was thinking about if they were good preparation for the boss, but I'm not really seeing any pattern. Mm. If the way you the way you beat the mini boss would is kind of a clue on how you beat the chapter boss. That's yeah, that's an idea to return to actually. Um Sanrio, did you? Would you say that mini bosses prepared you for the final boss of the world? Um. Well, for each boss, I kind of have to learn the um way to beat them, and um. But when you say it, I guess that those bosses you mentioned were kind of similar. So I when I was playing I thought them as kind of different characters because yeah they looked different. So uh, yeah. um I think you mentioned it, there is something to that. Uh, so the mini boss for World Three, that's the guy with the helmet, right? They can't jump on. Yeah, I think. Yeah, if, if that was a lava world. Yeah. Then, then yes, yes. 
And that's also the first end boss that you can't jump on either. Um, yeah. And so even though you're using Magician Mickey on the mini boss and Firefighter Mickey on the uh, on the end boss, um, they play similarly in that you're dependent on your ammo for uh, for completing the boss because you can't jump on fire. Um, Wait, was that last boss Global World that Spider thingy, or am I mixing up stuff? Spider bosses from the woods. In, in the oh. Spider boss is uh, probably visually my favorite boss. Just like yeah. Spider take, Pete. Yeah. Let's take a normal spider and then just sort of slap Pete's face on it. <laughs> what is this more inspector? Uh. Um. So yeah, did anyone have any uh, further thoughts on any of the things discussed there? Okay. Um, so it seems like the mini-boss mixes things up, but he does manage to make himself relevant at the same time. Um, maybe he's a little more subtle than we realized at first. Uh, but there's still a big problem in that he doesn't appear in the last half of the game. Um, and he reappears right at the end, but, uh, you see all of his new tricks within the first three worlds. Um, so why, like, why doesn't he appear in the last three worlds? Sanrio, do you have any, have any thoughts? Um, well, he, he got sick of being a boss and, and just quit. Seriously, <laughs> 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 no, I'm... I have no idea. I guess they just wanted a bit of variation in boss levels and want to make some. Oh wait, no, boss levels just have one boss at the end of levels. Right. One to say just. Yes. But uh, there's. Um, there is merit to the idea that they just wanted to make stuff up, because uh, it certainly was his role before. Yeah. Um, Shouty, do you have any thoughts on why he doesn't appear uh, in the latter half of the game? Hmm. Uh, from my experience, um, most games, well, like the portions or the worlds in, in the later half of the game uh, will get a little more shorter unless intense and more streamlined because I guess they want to play the game uh, sooner uh, even after dealing with all the uh, um, tediousness of um, the mini bosses from the earlier worlds so uh, I just think that they wanted to streamline the game a little better uh, towards the end so it's a matter of pacing where uh... yeah you get the meat of the game up front, but as you, this is a game without a save feature, so it's important mm -hmm. to keep the player's interest even later in the game. Yeah. Okay, I can I can buy that. Um, Wario fan, did you have any thoughts on why he doesn't appear in the last half of the game? Um, I was gonna say maybe it's because you know they they uh the levels were getting trickier. They figured, you know what, the levels are tough enough, we don't need to throw that guy in there anymore. <laughs> Both the grappling and the ice and everything. I don't or maybe they just, uh, 
the all the ideas they could think of for a boss in those worlds, they figured, you know what, we only got one good boss idea for him, let's just do one end boss. So it might have been a, a practical thing where uh, they just didn't have enough material on hand? Probably. But um, your first idea about the levels being too difficult uh, to have a mini-boss in them, um, that sounds like it can be reconciled with Shouty's idea in that uh, if you take out the mini-boss and just have the final boss, then it's like a streamlined sequence of highlights rather than, you know, the middling, you know, here's a mid-boss that's kind of hard, but not really, um, assuming he doesn't wear a helmet. <laughs> Fox, did you have any thoughts on why he doesn't appear in the last half of the game? Um, I I was been thinking along lines that he that the stages do a good enough job of keeping up the pacing and that he's not really entirely necessary in the later levels. Uh, I did like them stuffing him all in the very last level as optional, or seemingly optional. I I honestly. To be fair, I've only been through the entire game once, um, and I ended up coming across all forms of him. Uh, so I don't know if he's required to clear the final level. I don't think he is, because he's just in an, uh, on a side path door, okay. which could be easily skipped. I, I think he's there in the last level to make you think you're like entering the last door, but then you're like, oh no, it's that guy again. Oh... The first time I went through there, I, I, was, I was prepared for a boss gauntlet, like Capcom likes to do. And I was yeah. just trying to kill them all, because I thought mm -hmm. I was supposed to. It's, uh, it's not exactly the teleporter room. Uh. <laughs> um, personally, um, I think it's a little conspicuous that the last time you see him is right before the firefighter costume. Uh... So, he disappears as soon as you get sort of the, the more, the less combat-y uh, costumes. So I think it, part of it might be that he's in the part of the game that's really focused on killing enemies as fast as possible. And, you know, it'll be harder to work in a mini-boss that revolves around, you know, the claw shot or something like that. Um, so I think costume pacing has something to do with it as well. So would you say, would you say the last half of the game is more focused on exploration, and the first half is more action focused? I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Uh, when you consider that Pete's Peak is the start of the second half, I think that really sets the tone uh, for larger levels. Um, you have, from that point on, you have all three costumes, so your options are way open. Uh, there's a lot more room for experimentation and all that. Um, they even find new ways to allow you to explore with the firefighter costume in the ice world. Actually, uh, I'm trying to think, does the ice world have any enemies aside from the final boss? Yeah, it has, uh, has an enemy. Is that what it is, though? I just I just remember enemies being there to get in the way. Okay. Because I mostly just remember the like the uh the pole things in the ground that you bounce on. Yeah, I remember those, but I think there are there are also enemies. 
Okay. To deal with. Actually, uh, one thing I forgot to note in the time in the outline is that uh, I wanted to know what what your thoughts on the costumes and the combat was. Uh, like, was there was there a favorite costume you had in terms of combat? Um, Wario fan. Favorite costume. Yeah, like, did you prefer fighting with uh, Magician Mickey or Fireman Mickey, Fire Mouse, uh, or, or Hiker Mickey, or just plain old Mickey? Um, I I think I uh, I I default to uh, Magic Mickey more often than not for boss fights. So you like the straightforward combat that he brings? Absolutely, wielding all that power. <laughs> Beautiful. Um. Fox, what what combat did you dig the most in terms of costumes? I really wanted to like the fire mouse outfit a lot, but as I tried it on other bosses, it was just pitifully weak. Yeah, he's not really satisfying to combat, is he? No, it's just... It's near impossible to defeat any other bosses besides the ones you're supposed to beat with it. Right. Um, but... Zanrio, what what fights were your favorite in terms of costumes? Um, what costumes I like best? Yeah, like did you like pulling shields off, or did you like just shooting stuff? Well, I like, I think I like best the magic and fire powder ones. Yeah, I like shooting stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty gratifying. Uh, Shouty, what was was your favorite costume combat? I like the grappling. I'm glad someone said it. (laughs) I just like the idea of um, taking someone else's weapon and using it against them. Or leaving them completely defenseless. That's a... That is pretty gratifying. I like being able to uh, disarm enemies. Um, I've been playing a lot of uh, Battle Clash and Metal Combat lately, and that's a big part of those games. Mm. Um, okay. Um, I just saw... look for an excuse to drop name drop those games anywhere, won't you? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> um, personally, I don't know. I prefer... The first Mickey myself, I think he's underutilized. Um, and uh, that kind of leads into our next question because of my favorite boss fight in the game. But uh, did you know that the game has end bosses as well? Um, what? <laughs> Wait. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm floored. Okay. Um, so, in what way did the end bosses of each world reflect the gameplay of their respective levels. Um, Fox? Um, well, I think especially when the level introduced a certain costume, it was definitely reflective of in the boss. Uh, like, for example, the, the what is it, the Burning Grotto? That the they fireman? introduced the fire hose, and you, you got, the first one is uh, the fire hose puts out his like fire projectile, and you, you can use it to beat him, but it takes a while. But then you get to the end boss, and you—he's almost—he's exclusively vulnerable to the fire hose. 
Right. And I think they tried to keep up that theme when you had a new costume, but uh, I think as far as like level design goes and reflection of the bosses, that I'm sorry. What did you? I'm lost right now. <laughs> I, so the question is just my brain just turned off. How did the bosses reflect the levels that led up to them? In whatever sense, in either costumes or mini bosses or platforming. I think, uh, yeah, generally they're only reflective of the, the bosses. Only really reflective of the level when they, they introduce new costume. I don't think they've done too excellent of a job of making them. Uh, like if you've learned any, or if you've done one major action throughout the level, like like climbing or, or avoiding objects, that it's mostly just been the bosses reflective of the costume. That's um, that's certainly fair when you consider uh, the five three boss. Uh, it doesn't really implement ice physics at all, except that he's on skates. Any? You've spent that whole level snowboarding too. Wow, you you don't really have a snowboard. Oh, sledding, whatever that is you're on. <laughs> oh wait, wait, now I remember. Sorry, I was. I totally forgot about the uh, ice platforms you ride on. Yeah. <laughs> That's my bad. Um, Zanrio, did you get any sense in which the bosses reflect their levels? Yeah, well, uh, Pox said, um, um, I kind of got out it that many of the bosses were based around the costumes you got. Not right before. Okay. I say that preferred boss. Yep. Uh, before that one, you got the hyper costume, and uh, I didn't need that costume to beat him. Sweet level. Actually, um. Yeah. I think he. I think he just makes it easier. Um, if you don't use the hiker costume, you can still incapacitate his uh, his children and throw his children at him or her. Yeah. Well, you, um, you potentially have to grab those things to don't fall off the stage. Yeah, it's Every certainly. Every time it flies back. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of. Picture have to had to use that costume. Yeah. Uh, Shouty, at what senses did the levels uh, get reflected in the ball? Um. <clears throat> hmm. I think they were reflected only in uh, the first world, the third world, and the fourth world. And only minimally in the fourth world because you didn't really need uh, Hiker Mickey to beat the bird. And um, in, in the first and third, uh, <clears throat> you were meant to use the mechanics that that were pretty much instantly introduced in those worlds. Um, the second world, I didn't really see any uh, reflection on um, using Magician Mickey or anything to do with uh, having to swim through um, uh, large trees. Um, it just seemed to 
you just felt suspended on a bunch of platforms and you had to avoid a giant uh, moving boss. I might have to disagree with you on the uh, on the spider peep there. Um, there are a lot of times where he spins in such a way that his body blocks your shots, uh, and it really exposes how you can't shoot in multiple directions. Oh. Well. Hmm. Is that reflected in the level design? Well, okay. Uh. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's like the first enemy that you where it's difficult to handle because you can't shoot in multiple directions. Uh, alright. So I guess it's teaching you about um, the uh, Magician Mickey's drawbacks. Right, yeah, right at the final test. That's a little weird, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> what better time to do it when you're completely unprepared? Uh... Mario fan, did you have any thoughts on uh, how bosses reflect the levels? No, I I don't think there's anything I can say here that hasn't already been said, really. Okay. Um, that was a very boring response. I'm sorry. <laughs> so when it came to the the final boss, did that just sort of feel like a hard boss and not really one that you know particularly belonged to the level aside from being hard? Uh, pretty much. Um, I think it might fit in the sense that, uh, in that final world, you refight the three bosses. So there is a sort of sense of, uh, all-encompassing final exam, uh, present in the final boss. Um, you don't get to use Hiker Mickey, but you do, uh, I found it was crucial, crucial to swap between Magic and uh, Fireman Mickey, and that was sort of a summation. Uh, a lot of you. I actually don't remember swapping. Oh really? Did yeah. you Did you just use magician the whole time? I I think I just used magician that whole fight. I think you need a uh, fireman Mickey to push gray blocks and like so you can even reach his face, right? I don't remember having to do that. Oh man. Is that something they took out from Game Boy or? Well, so is there the attack phase where he shoots gray blocks at you? I do not recall blocks being shot at me. Really? Um, hmm. Shouty, do you remember gray blocks being shot at you? No, th there were definitely gray blocks when I played it on the SNES version. Um, did anyone else play the Game Boy Advance version? Actually, I think you can destroy those blocks with the magic, so you probably wouldn't need to switch to the fireman. Maybe that was it. Maybe I was just kept blowing them up with the magic. I didn't even see them. Mm, uh, can you blow up great blocks with Mag Magician Mickey? I'm I'm actually watching a a playthrough right now, so I'm kind of cheating. But he is he's blowing up the blocks with the magic. Okay. <laughs> huh. Well, no. Thanks for looking it up. Brute force in there, I guess. <laughs> Man, now I feel like a total. That's all I got. Um. <laughs> Total. That's a cereal. <laughs> With cranberries, please. Um, craisins, I'm sorry. Uh, so one interesting boss in particular was in a world that focused on an old costume, uh, the Ice World. 
So, what was your approach to the boss of the Ice World, and how long did it take you to beat him, Warrior Fan? Oh my gosh, um, I, I think I tried the firefighter approach first, and that was, I, I was getting fed up trying to avoid his, uh, his attacks, and it was taking a while, so I just, I, I swapped to Magic Mickey and just pow, pow, pow. Yep. Beat him. It's, uh, you don't really realize how weak water is until you try something that's not water. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me water is weaker than powerful magic? <laughs> Fox, is that the approach you took? Yeah, when I first played the the boss, I, I tried using my fire because I was using that and everything, and it just I, I it ended up turning into a memory game of finding of memorizing which platform he would land on when he would do his snowboard flip. Is there a tell for that? I don't know if there is, I just just memorizing the order. <laughs> oh, it's not random. No, I don't think so. Oh. Okay. I yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Um Susanna. Zamrio, <laughs> <laughs> um, if I recall correctly, this is the boss you're currently on. Yeah. The icefall boss, yes. Yeah. So, uh, what what has your approach been to him so far? Well, uh, mostly been using the Pyroman Mickey and tried Shin Water as a ghost home. Yes? Yeah, it takes him a while to die of hypothermia. It's not really, uh, economical. Um. Yeah, I guess. I... <laughs> Tried using a magic bomb too, but then it's hard to hit. And yeah. I have to. When I charge up the shot, he already went down again, so I have to wait and shoot, or have to move all the way to not get hit. Um, his hitbox is definitely hard to peg, in that uh, he he does a good job of shielding it from you. Um. I guess it's a sort of uh, follow-up to the spider boss in that scene. Um, Shouty, I'm gonna assume you used Magician Mickey on him. Yeah, I tried to beat him with regular Mickey, but I caved and had to use magic. Ah, with regular Mickey? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what would possess you? I thought if I was more precise, instead of just randomly firing with uh, firefighter or magic, I could eventually uh, whittle his health down with jumping. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess I can see that. That boss is pretty deceptive in that the entire game, you're pretty much set to just uh, go on the latest costume or whatever costume fit the level. Um, in the World 5 boss, I guess the, I want to call it like a plot twist of gameplay. It's the first time you really have to think about what costume you're using and yeah, reassess the situation. It also makes me regret upgrading Firefighter Mickey instead of Magician Mickey. <laughs> okay. Did you have a favorite boss, Shouty? <laughs> yeah, I like uh, the World 3 boss the best. Uh, I really like the balance between trying to put the boss out with uh, water 
and uh, avoiding his attacks. That's not... I thought it was just very neat all around. It's There's a good balance in he destroys your space, but then you need to get ammo back, etc. It's a... Yeah. It's a balancing act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought the the method in which you deplete the boss health is very neat. It's... Does he regain health if you let him go for too long? Yeah, he heats back up. That's a little stressful, but it's also, uh, it's pretty neat how it, I mean, that's kind of like regular fire. <laughs> kind of. Infection. Um, so, Wario fan, did you have a favorite boss? Oh, yeah, I like the, uh, the World 1 in boss. High five! <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> that was me high-fiving you. <laughs> Infinite high five. <laughs> um, I, I just I, I kind of dig bosses where uh, where as you defeat them they deteriorate. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's so, pretty. Uh, I don't know. I, I like how how every time you hit that guy, he's uh, he would get smaller and smaller. You know, there's a super scope game called Yoshi Safari. Oh, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty gratifying. Yeah, I, it's a uh, it's nice when you have a visual indicator of how far you are on the boss that's more than just, you know, change color. Yeah. Um, okay. But actually, uh, now that you mention it, um, the World 3 boss is similar in that he grows smaller in the, uh, as he grows weaker. Well, he becomes more cooler colored. Oh, which is that makes it? Makes sense considering that he's supposed to be on fire. Right. Yeah, and he gets less fire and... So, Zanria, did you have a, a favorite boss? Well, the boss at the end of the entire levels. I like that one. How come? No, I thought it was a fun battle. Yeah, what's that? Yeah. I guess we already kind of said why it's fun. Um, yeah. So, Fox, did you have a favorite boss battle? Uh, yeah, I really liked the end, the end of Chapter 4 boss, the bird. I liked, I found it really satisfying to attack him with his own young. Oh. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> it is neat how you get to, like, Grab his own attack from him and throw it at him. Like, a, yeah. you can prevent his egg attack. Um, I think it was just a really good use of the grapple costume. Or the hiker costume. Yes, the Bionic Commander Growing costume. babies. <laughs> uh, one thing I forgot to mention on uh, one of the previous questions, actually, is... um, That boss integrates the wind from the earlier parts of the level. Uh, is that's one sense in which the level design sort of came through in the boss design as well. Um, personally, I find the first boss the most gratifying. Um, I think he has everything that uh, all of the good bosses have. Uh, he grows smaller as you beat him. Um, 
you can use his own you can use himself against him in that uh you jump on him, a part of him falls off, and then you can pick that up and throw him back at him. Um maybe it doesn't do a balancing act so much. And I think it's interesting that um the first boss is maybe the most interesting because if you're playing this for real, then you're gonna be playing that one the most. Um because, you know, when it's time for school, you don't keep the Super Nintendo on, you turn it off, and then, you know, when you get home from school, you turn it on, and you gotta beat the first boss again. Uh, so it's important for them to, like, front-load the game with interesting content. At least that's how I read it. Uh, I think in that sense, it's probably a really good first boss, because it does a lot to keep you interested in the game. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just neat getting to pick up stuff, and, like, I feel like it's rare in video games that you get to interact with them as closely as you do in, uh, Mickey, in Magical Quest. A lot of times it's just you volley attacks at each other, like it's a shmup or something. But I guess it's also worth noting that, uh, even if you can turn the bosses against themselves, they never do the same to you. Um, there's never a point at which you launch an attack against them that they then reverse you on. Um, which is, uh, I guess, for better or worse. I feel like if they did that, it just, um, it'd just be reduced to Ganon volleying your, your attack, his own attack back. Yeah, the dead man's volley. That you volley back at him. Is that dead man's volley? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called dead man's volley. Okay. I love that name. <laughs> um, nobody's favorite boss was the, uh, extreme skating Pete. <laughs> Nobody likes that boss. Because he's not fun. It's just he's a show-off. Well, that too. I guess uh, as neat as it is that he pulls a reversal on how you play the game, there's not really, like, he doesn't give any interesting feedback. There's no interesting ways of interacting with him. Um, it's really just you figure out to use uh, Magician Mickey, and that's it. It plays out like a pretty, <laughs> pretty basic boss that could belong in, like, Days before Christmas or something like that. <laughs> days before Christmas. That's a that's a reference if ever there was one. <laughs> I can't believe I played that entire game. <laughs> Sunsoft's finest moment. Ah, so would you hmm? would you say that snowboarding Pete would be better repurposed as a mid boss? You know what? He uh he's just about as shallow as one of the mid bosses. Yeah. He's really just there as a guy you beat up and you don't do anything with him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Spider-Pete's kind of the same way. Uh, there are a lot of similarities between Spider-Pete and that boss. I didn't kind of like Spider-Pete. I like Spider-Pete, uh, but, but a large part of it is that he's easier and actually possible to beat without ammo. Right, but he certainly doesn't offer any interesting ways to interact with him. Or any neat feedback. Are you saying Peach compliment you during the boss fight? <laughs> uh, give me an example here. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Vicky, you should be jumping on me when you run out of ammo. <laughs> okay, okay, I can see this. Maybe, uh, maybe he, uh, Goes over to Goofy and, and tries to involve him in a wacky scheme. 
Absolutely. And, and his son. As spider feet, he goes over to the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then Goofy just walks backwards all over him. <laughs> Dad, you're so embarrassing. Walking backwards everywhere. Notice how there's no uh, magical quest game that stars Mickey and Goofy. Hmm. Are you suggesting that there's a conspiracy? Absolutely. Goofy's too tall. <laughs> I don't know. He, I, I'm not comfortable playing against tall people. <laughs> are, you, are you comparing Goofy to Waluigi? <laughs> now I am. <laughs> Goofy time. <laughs> oh god. Um, yeah, there definitely was, weren't enough Goof Troop references in Magical Quest. That's because they're all in the game Goof Troop. <laughs> I see. They wouldn't want to, uh, two games competing. They wouldn't want to have two games competing. Absolutely. That is why. Alright. Did anyone else have any thoughts on Magical Quest combat and bosses? Going I once? like that this is what Oops. Mickey dreams about. Yeah, that's a little weird. Like, even Mario takes a break from Bra from Bowser, but Mickey just has, like, paranoid dreams about Pete stealing his friggin' dog. <laughs> God, I thought that Pete's gonna... You know, and then the next day he, uh... Checks his fridge to make sure Pete didn't steal his cheesecake or something. <laughs> That's... I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. Even Mickey isn't so happy as his teams. <laughs> and Goofy only knows how to moonwalk. I don't it. Yeah, there's the, uh... There's the naked in front of a bunch of people dreams, there's the uh, teeth falling out dreams, and there's the my idiotic best friend only walks backwards dreams. <laughs> Certainly, uh, Freud taught us much. There are some competing ideas here. First, we said that maybe the second half of the game has tighter pacing because it doesn't have any mini-bosses. Worlds are shorter, and the bosses you do see are all big bad guys. Uh, but then we went on to say that maybe the second half is more exploration-based because of the lack of mini-bosses. You don't do as much fighting, and instead you spend time climbing around with Hiker Mickey and stuff like that. In reality, it seems to me that there isn't any more or less exploration in the second half of the game but the exploration present certainly is more difficult. The first stage of World 4, for instance, has its fair share of exploration, but you've always got to beware of the bottomless pit below. You know, I'm still not sure what to make of the lack of mini-bosses during the last half of the game. Anyway, remember that Sean Hogan guy? One of the designers on Anodyne? I spoke with him about Anodyne's boss fights to see what kind of insight he could lend, and, heck, I threw in some questions about exploration, since we were talking about that in the last episode. Spoiler warning, if you haven't played all the way through Anodyne, you might pick up on a few things prematurely here. You've been warned.
This week I have with me uh, Sean Hogan, one of the designers and the programmer for uh, Anodyne. Could you give us just a, a brief synopsis of what Anodyne is? Yeah, sure. Um, so Anodyne is this adventure game set in a dream world, this character. And the gameplay, you'll you explore like a series of dungeons uh, inside this dream world. And at the same time, you also explore a series of these areas that are a little less hostile. And this exploration forms a bit of a narrative for the main character who is inside of uh, their dream world. So it's a it's a game with a focus on you know exploration and then also more like combat puzzly stuff, and it's been compared to Zelda and Yume Nikki and some of the other 16-bit era adventure games. And uh, you mentioned combat right at the end there, which is why you're here today. Uh, we were talking about bosses this week, and and I actually has some uh, some interesting boss fights. So, I was wondering, uh, what was your basic process for making a boss from conception to completion? Yeah, so with, uh, with the bosses in Anodyne, um, it always started with a bare mechanic, and this the mechanic for the boss, it, sometimes it stemmed from uh, a lot of mechanics that happened in a dungeon. So, you know, with one of the bosses, you were riding around on the little dust raft a lot. So I wanted to design the boss to use that as part of the fight. And then from that mechanic, uh, you would I would go ahead and test that up by itself and then see, you know, is that too easy, it's too hard. Um, if it's too easy, then, you know, I would add some other mechanics around it, sort of to keep the player moving so it wouldn't be a total cakewalk. Um, and then after that's all finished and the boss works, then I would design out the aesthetics for the boss, so sort of what it looks like and how it relates to the area. And that worked okay for the most part. I think an ideal still would have been to design the aesthetic of the boss first and then make the mechanics from there, but uh, I'm not sure how big of a difference that would have made. But the way I did it from Anodyne was from mechanics to aesthetics. Okay. Um, you mentioned that sometimes mechanics stem from the dungeons and Sometimes not. What was the deciding factor in that? Um, so, the first three dungeons, um, in a way, are there to sort of just teach some basic things, like, you know, riding the dust around, or jumping, or, you know, manipulating the dust. And so, I guess when I was designing those dungeons, I had the idea in mind to make the boss fights focus a lot more on using those mechanics. Um, so the first three bosses, at least, you know, were definitely, you know, they're based around placing dust or jumping or rafting. Um, how many, I don't know how about the later bosses, I, if you want me to talk about it, but... Um, uh, we don't mind spoilers, yeah. Okay, yeah. So the last three bosses, those three dungeons... Um, only about, only I think one of them really has like a specific brand new mechanic, and that boss does use that one. Uh, which are these like sort of like speed up pads which make you run a little faster. The other two, they're more of me just like exploring, um, jumping and the other mechanics to sort of fit the aesthetic of the dungeon. 
Um, so those were less explicitly designed around a single one. They were more of just like a you know a boss fight that I thought might be interesting. Okay. I also noticed that uh, you mentioned bosses have a lot going on, and uh, in my personal experience, uh, I just beat the third boss, which you know spews a ton of bullets at you, and then has hands slamming around the room at the same time. Um, how did you balance uh, all these things going on at the same time? Um, so a lot of those things, they combine all of those mechanics to keep the player moving and not make the fight, you know, super boring. You want to kind of have, like, an energy to the fight and keep it exciting. Um, for balancing it, so you, you plan out, like, uh, you plan the boss mechanics on paper and, you know, you kind of sanity check it there and see if it looks okay. And then you go into the game, you program it. And, you know, you play the boss a few times, and, you know, if it feels right, then, you know, it's probably going to be fine. Uh, with that boss, I don't remember specifically, because that was a while ago, but I'm pretty sure I was, like, definitely tweaking, you know, the speed of the hands, or how many bullets were being shot, how far they get shot, um, the interval between the bullets being shot, until I got sort of the feel I wanted for the boss, which was to have to move around a bit to not take damage. Um, that's kind of happens for any boss, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of just iteration. Um, I think from playing lots of games throughout life, that makes it a lot easier to sort of pick a spot that's pretty close to what you want. And then from there, it's just a matter of just like, you know, messing around with the variables until it seems right. Okay. And I guess a uh, final word on bosses. Uh, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Um, my favorite boss is not one you've played yet. It's the boss in the dungeon with the jumping puzzles that everyone hates me for. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> listening. Um, what it is is... So that dungeon has this like mechanic of these like pads that help you. They make you run faster. So you know there's a bit of like platforming centered around that. Um, and so that boss is. You w walk around the perimeter of the room and there's just a giant pit in the middle and you have those little like dash pads and you have to use them to catch up to the boss as it runs around the room um, and like kind of jumps all over the place and you know I like that one. It, I don't know, it's, I kind of like the running fast stuff, it's just, it was fun, a lot of uh, movement. And so that's probably my favorite, even though it's pretty easy. This is kind of like a fun fight. Yeah, I can get behind that. And uh, you may have noticed that Anodyne also has exploration, uh, so I wanted to ask about that a little, because we were talking about that uh, previously as well. Um. Mm -hmm. In specific, I noticed that Anodyne sometimes tantalizes players with locked doors and places you can't get to, but there are also plenty of times where you just have a whole bunch of options, uh, places you can go, but no real pointer in one specific direction. I was wondering how you balanced uh, balance those two approaches. <clears throat> yeah, so early on in design, uh, we decided that there would only be six main dungeons, and that there would also be some, I guess this happened more naturally, but we also decided that we would have, you know, s small parts of the other areas that were dungeon-like, 
you know, they'd have some enemies or maybe have something, a prize at the end. Uh, but so striking a balance there, um, I guess it came down to like the world design. So, you know, three of the dungeons are sort of located in the middle of a leg of areas. And so they form a contrast between, you know, a relatively wide open place to explore. Uh, and then the dungeon, and then the next place to sort of explore, and then there's another dungeon after that. So, I think a lot of the balance is felt in that there's never two dungeons directly side by side. There's always a little bit of like breathing room for the player to like have one of those more wide open areas. Um, I mean, it wasn't all like perfectly planned out. I guess it ended up working pretty well. You know, because people don't feel always stressed out, except for this one area that a lot of people also dislike. Um, you haven't got to it yet. <laughs> um, kind of like a maze. People hate mazes. I love mazes. There's a clue to get to the maze without, you know, stressing out, but I guess it's hard to understand, so. Um, yeah, so a lot of balance is, I don't know, it was planned out and we were kind of hoping it would work, and it works. It always seemed to work okay. <clears throat> so a lot of it is just like an intuition you kind of build up from playing games a lot and just I guess thinking a lot about um, the area's relations to each other. It's kind of a weird answer, but um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't totally like an explicit dot out process, but more of a series of like educated guesses maybe. I I think I get you. Um, there's definitely a sense of pacing to the exploration where. Uh, as you explore more, you get more definite ideas of where to go. Mm -hmm. um, so I was also wondering, for, uh, for one particularly compelling segment, you kill a man in a river and then explore the bloodied, bloodied waters. Uh, but that's a fairly short segment. On the other hand, a large amount of time is spent in uh, sort of a, a normal environment. It's a, just a seaside, woodsy area. So I was wondering... Like, what role did aesthetics play in exploration? In a, I mean, you have this really interesting set piece, but you also have this really sort of normal one. Yeah. Um, so aesthetics sort of meant to carry this sort of overlying, like, unspoken kind of narrative to the dream. Because it is a dream, and think of it as like a dream sequence, you know, so... In the first areas of the game, their aesthetics are very, um, cliche, but like based in fantasy or so. Um, you know, you have your like weird white area, then a, you know, giant hub of portals, and then, um, nothing's really, everything's sort of darkish, kind of like entering a dream. And then we contrast that with all those nature areas, and, like the the division of the world into different like sets of aesthetics, like very concrete or more like generic RPG-ish or very you know abstract, um, which is after the nature-ish areas. That's sort of done to it's done to give a sense of pacing for the exploration, right? So you don't want to can always have this large like, nature areas to come back to. And that also ties in to 
sort of the characters process of exploring that dream world. Um, you know, they go through sort of like more calm thoughts and kind of like darker sorts of thoughts that don't pervade the entire dream world completely. Um, so it's kind of a weird mix of, you know, pacing and also like some, like an unspoken like narrative, um, the world design and all the aesthetics and how the areas juxtapose to each other. Uh, yeah, like it's something I'd like to talk about and like very concretely get my thoughts down because it's, it's a big part of the game and, um, I guess I'm still like understanding it too, which is kind of strange. <laughs> Maybe you designed it in your sleep? It sounds like um, the key is to have the interesting parts be the small parts uh, so that you allow room for the player to think on their own about it. Uh, you don't want to say too much yourself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like, that's a... It's a... I mean, what we're interested in is seeing how that works with the players. You know, we give them... You know, so there's sort of that, like, base story going on, and that's kind of wrapped up, like, a little bit, but, you know, most people just end up being uh, frustrated that nothing's tied up for them, or there's too many, like, things to interpret. So I guess that's kind of, that is that is our fault. Um, but I guess I'm glad, because, uh, you know, so it means that we did design the world well enough that it made people think, and they did come to some conclusions. And I do think that was helped by there not being a giant story, you know, thrown at you every, you know, every few minutes. Um, so in that way, even if, you know, people don't come to, like, a complete conclusion, I think they can still, like, take something away from the game, which is nice. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I've ever heard anyone call it Lynchian, so there's that. <laughs> um, wait, it's a filmmaker, right? Yeah, he's a eraser head in Dune. I think people, I th I've heard that name thrown around a bit with respect to Anodyne. I don't. I think people said it was like borderline that, and I'm very like ignorant to film, which is bad. Because <laughs> I never get around to watching them. Like I have friends that are like, you should watch this film, and I'm like, okay, I will. Uh, but I'm working on this, so but. <laughs> <laughs> David Lynch makes very uh, purposely confusing movies. Yeah, I mean, I can see, like, nothing in Anodyne is like purposely intended to be confusing. If it's confusing, I guess, you know, I guess we're just bad at laying out, you know, the pieces to like sort of puzzle together and interpret. Um, I guess no. I mean, it, it was our first time sort of doing something this big, and it would have been nice to have made everything a little more concrete. I guess it does come off as a little bit too confusing, which isn't what we wanted. Like, we wanted there to be room for interpretation, but we didn't want it to be, you know, making people totally lost. But, you know, I guess, you know, it's the first We don't have much experience of doing that, so it, I guess it's natural for it to sort of come off as confusing, and I guess Lynchian. <laughs> oh, we tried, and... Well, that's all people can ask for. Uh, so... Final word on uh, Anodyne. Uh, you said you were on Steam Greenlight? Yeah. Um, we are on Steam Greenlight, and it's interesting because, you know, after the Pirate Bay weekend, we shot up quite a bit. 
I think, to like 60th place. And over the past week, we've continued rising, and I think we're at 46th right now. Um, and, you know, normally they usually take the top 10 or whatever and greenlight them. And the next greenlight date is happening this Tuesday, the 26th. But what's interesting is that some games like Primordia by, um, have been greenlit because they were rising pretty quickly in the past few weeks. So it's not really guaranteed that we'd get greenlit, but there's still some weird glimmer of hope because we have been rising pretty quickly and like the current demand that's, um, like on Steam for the game is like pretty high. So I mean, it might happen. I guess we'll see. Well, I just try. Yeah, I'm just trying not to think about it too much. <laughs> it uh, Anodyne runs on my Windows XP from 2006, so it's got my vote. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Sean Hogan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Anodyne might be a different genre than Magical Quest, but there are some worthwhile similarities. For Anodyne's bosses, Sean expressed an interest in keeping the player focused on multiple things at once, which came up when we were discussing the fire boss in Magical Quest. He also said that boss mechanics only tended to focus on dungeon mechanics when the dungeon introduced a brand new idea. We noticed something similar in Magical Quest. We made the observation that bosses in Magical Quest were most relevant to the world when the world introduced a brand new idea. And, of course, Magical Quest takes place in a dream, and Anodyne certainly has dreamlike feel throughout. That that last point was a joke. It's not really... not really relevant. So, in conclusion... Sanrio, give us some words of wisdom. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Save your save your ammo. Yes. Because it's uh it's tough times and uh, it's hard to come across ammo. So yeah. You know what? That's what um, that's one thing this game could have done with uh Super Metroid gives you ammo back during fights, but I could have used that in this game. Yes. So when you kill an enemy, okay. Yeah. The ammo back. Something like that. Yes. That could be useful. Mario fan, any uh any uh philosophical things to say? Absolutely not. That is awesome. Um But I I do feel uh you know, since this is probably the last time we might talk about the game, I feel like I should say that uh, as I was playing on the Game Boy Advance version, I took advantage of it and uh, decided to play as Minnie Mouse the whole game. Ooh. Yeah. Is that like Minnie Mario? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I'm just imagining Except, uh, Mario with a bow. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. And eyelashes and wearing high heels. <laughs> it's a me. Um 
What's a Wario fan? What all changed about the game as as many? Um, most j just uh, dialogue mostly. Like uh, oh, she doesn't say she's looking for her dog. She's looking for her boyfriend's dog. And mm -hmm. uh, I I thought it was weird in in chapter three. Um, I because I did play through that part as Mickey first, and and when he when he enter the cave to the elevator, Ghost Pete comes out and says, "Going down." And then when you do it as as many, he comes out and says, "Isn't it wonderful?" <laughs> what? <laughs> um, what? <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> he doesn't even say anything in the SNES version. Maybe they thought it'd be an innuendo if they said going down to a girl. Let's not take it there. <laughs> This is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Her hiker costume is kind of bland. Oh, she doesn't it's get... It's just her with the bigger bow. What? <laughs> really? For the most part. Girls can't wait her hosen. That's impossible. But they can panty hosen. Da 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 da. Fox, um, did you have any uh, proverbs to share? No proverbs. Uh, I I did realize in my second playthrough that I I was probably just being a really big idiot and missing all of the heart heart okay. extensions because there was a lot that seemed obvious when I went through it the second time. So. I realized in thinking about last week's podcast that there was sort of a, a disagreement, an, an implicit disagreement on how much of the of the secrets were like given away by clues and how much were just sort of you know laid around in in the open. Um, so would you say it was a matter of picking up on clues that led you to more hearts, or or do they just really obvious things that you you didn't bother checking? Well, I don't know if they're really obvious, uh, and I'm actually not sure if it's just because I've played through it once already that I, I kind of looking, I know where the game would expect me to look if they were hiding something. I see. So it could just be that I have that forth, uh, foresight or that previous experience. That's kind of interesting. As, yeah. Um, uh, you go. I don't have anything important to say. Oh, okay. Uh, just like uh, everybody on the rest of the podcast. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> now we know. <laughs> uh, it's interesting in that... Uh, I, I know I keep bringing up that this is a game without saves, but... Um, there's a sort of metagaming in that playing the game once all the way through isn't really a genuine experience of the game, because you're going to... Uh, the broader narrative of your playthrough of this game will include unsuccessful playthroughs leading up to your successful playthrough. Um, so it's neat that part of that is, you know, it's not just learning how to fight enemies and, you know, where there's going to be tricky platforming, but also learning how the game hides stuff so that, you know, when you get up to a hard boss, you can either, you know, kill him faster or you can have a longer health bar so that you don't have to be as good. Um, so you think that there might be like a, a way in which 
you learn how the game hides stuff over the course of multiple playthroughs? I think that's a real possibility. Uh, I, I want to say I've, I've played this game a lot in the past month, and I feel like I've gotten pretty more intimate with it than I have with a lot of other games I've played. Alright. I love free plays. They are the best. Ah, <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, you were the last one. We had some really interesting ideas. High five, everybody. How about me? Um, wait, did I call on you? I thought I called on you after Sammy, oh. No. Oh no! I, uh... I will edit you in earlier and, uh. I thought you didn't call on me because I went first for the last question. No, the rules this time were that, uh, the last person from the previous question went first. And then it just, uh, it went on. Uh, do you have any, any, anything wise to say? Um, if you see your best friend walking backwards, just repeat to yourself, it, it's just a dream, I should really just relax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, MST3K. Okay. <laughs> that took me a second. Oh, that, is that, a, is that because you wanted to do the robot roll call at the beginning? No, well, maybe. <laughs> <coughs> maybe we'll have to do it for the next, uh, let's see. Who uh, who would be the robots? I guess it, it, this is sort of sexist, but Zanrio stuck being gypsy because there's only one girl. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> MST3K is like a it's a silly '90s show about these guys stuck in space watching movies, and uh, the yep. only, there's only one girl. I've character. heard of it, but I've never seen it. Ah, you've never seen it. Maybe I should. I, I would recommend it. Me too. Yeah. Okay. See, I don't want to call anyone Cambot because that's mean. Because Cambot just builds things. <laughs> Maybe I should be Cambot. Yeah, can't you be Cambot? But then, like, between Shouty, Wario Fan, and Fox, that leaves Tom Servo and Crow. Unless. Oh. Wait, no, I got it. Wario fan is Mike Nelson. <laughs> and then... Uh, I guess I could call Fox Tom Servo. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. It's a, a shouty, you're cool with being uh, Crow? Yeah. I hope so. I mean, when I'm uh, not being cool, uh, when I'm a bird... Oh, that's that's a good point. I I like that. That lines up perfectly. <laughs> not... So, uh, who who's Doctor Forrester? Too big. Actually, can I be Doctor Forrester since I'm the one that, like, I'm the person that organizes the commune. I yes. send you cheesy video games. The worst I can find. That'll work. <laughs> I like that. That's an adrenaline rush. And then I get uh, I get booted when we go to sci-fi. Anyway, this was a weird and weird discussion. Remember Magical Quest? <laughs> that was a neat game. Yeah, I played better. Ooh. Oh, I, I, it's not. I, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, good night, everybody. Good night. All music in this podcast was from Magical Quest, starring Mickey Mouse. I'll leave you on this final thought. We're getting footholds on some basic game design concepts, but it seems to me we could very easily walk in circles unless we find a way to build on our observations. When we reflect on difficulty and combat in Master of Darkness, and compare it to Boss's Magical Quest, what do we find? You know, Vicky, you should be jumping on me when you run out of ammo. <laughs>